Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. And will you please help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week, if you were here, we talked about the book of Lamentations, right? We talked about lament. And that lament in the Bible, it's a crying out to God, right? We acknowledge our grief, our loss, our sin. We repent. We cry out to God. We ask him to act, right? Uh, We pray, Lord, come and be God in this mess, Right. We talked about lament. It's a prayer, and it's a protest. And it proves that we have a relationship with God. And then we kind of talked about how there's a lack of lament, you know, in the church in America, right? And Liz and I were talking about this, and she was like, you know, we're all in favor of God turning our mourning into dancing as long as we can rush through that mourning part. Right? So lament, something we need to work on. Now, this week's theme, it might be a little bit easier. Uh, I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to promise that. Um, but this week, the scripture readings were, um, they all had uh, gratitude in them. Okay. Now, do you remember last week, I mentioned that laments in the Bible, they often sound like complaints. Uh, but that there's a difference. You know, complaints are, you know, they test God. And, the, and they're not deep. Okay, but lament isn't a test. It's, it's deep. Um, it's a deep show of confidence in God's faithfulness to act, either in his mercy or in his justice. Well, gratitude is kind of like that too, okay? It is also deep. Now, my parents taught me to say please and thank you, and probably yours did too. Uh, you know, unless you were raised by wolves in a barn on the moon, You know that saying thank you or no thank you is a polite response when someone offers you something. Unless it's drugs, you just say no. (laughs) So uh, saying thank you is polite. Okay, it is polite. But is it deep? No. Being thankful means that you are pleased about something, maybe even relieved. But it's not not deep. And... um, And listen, I'm not saying that being thankful or saying thank you is bad or wrong. Not what I'm saying at all. Um, It's fine. It's polite. And it's perfectly adequate for most of our daily interactions with people. But it's still, it's not the same thing as gratitude. Okay, gratitude is deep. It is a thankfulness that leads to a response or an action. Yeah. Did you notice when we prayed the uh, collect together today? I have the collect up there. Yeah, okay. So we asked for God's grace to uh, surround us, didn't we? Um, But we're so grateful for his grace that we didn't stop there, right? Notice we didn't just say like, grace please. We prayed a mature prayer. May our response to his grace be, what, an action. Good works. So that's gratitude, being so thankful for God's provision, for his gospel, that we respond not with lip service, but from a deeper place that leads to action. And we see examples of this in the scripture readings for today. One of the Old Testament readings was from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's the Naaman story. 
It's, uh, it's one of my favorites. Naaman is this um, Syrian army commander, and he has leprosy, or some kind of skin problem. And the short version of this story is that he hears there's a prophet in Israel who can cure his leprosy. So he asks permission to go to that country and find the prophet. And he gets, he gets to Israel, right? And Elisha the prophet tells Naaman to go wash seven times in the Jordan River. And uh, Naaman gets kind of mad about this because he was expecting something a little more flashy. But one of his servants talks him into trying out the seven baths. You know, like, just take the seven baths. And he does. And he's healed. And he's changed after that. His response, you know, he goes from being angry to, you know, humbling himself to strip down for those seven baths to um, getting this healing where he confesses that Israel's God is the only God in all the earth. And then he asks if he can take two cartloads of soil from Israel back home with him, so when he makes sacrifices and offerings to God, he can do it on soil from Israel. And Elisha doesn't say no. He doesn't correct him or say anything like, no, you can't really do that. You have to come to our temple only to do this kind of thing. He knows that this Gentile army commander will not be allowed to come back to Israel for any peaceful reason. So he lets him have the dirt. And then before he leaves, Naaman asks one more thing. He tells Elisha that part of his job as army commander is to escort his king to their temple to worship their national god, Rimon. And he asks, please forgive me. Naaman knows he can't get out of this job, right? Saying no to a king equals death. And Elisha says, go in peace. Isn't that amazing? Go and live your Gentile army commander life in peace. Naaman and Elisha both know that he can't, he can't go back to Syria and change Syria into Israel. But Naaman can change his own household, right? And he can worship the one God of the Israelites at home. And he can go in peace and live his life and do his job. And the healing changes him. His gratitude leads him to worship God in his house. You know, not just say thank you, but to make sacrifices and offerings. You know, that's a cost. And now when he goes to his nation's temple, do you think maybe he's mindful? You know, it might even be painful for him to go and serve his king this way. Go in peace. Shalom. And the gospel reading for today is similar. It's from Luke 17. It's a familiar story, right? Jesus and company are on their way to Jerusalem and they get to this in-between place. It's between Samaria and Galilee. And ten lepers approach him and cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. And one of them, a Samaritan, notices that he's healed. And he turns back, praising God loudly. 
And he bows all the way down at Jesus' feet, and he thanks him. And Jesus asks, like, where's the other nine? Were none of them found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? So here's another story of a Gentile receiving God's grace, and they're changed, and they react from a deep place, right? He's compelled to turn around and go back and humble himself before the Christ. And when he does that, Jesus tells him to get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus sends him out to go and live his changed life. You know, I just noticed, just reading this just now, oh, I hate going off script, but um, all ten of them, they, they say to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, they ask for it together. You know, they don't say, have mercy on me, have mercy on us. That would have been handy <laughs> to talk about earlier this week. <laughs> so, grace and gratitude seem to be the theme of the day. So let's see if we can find it in our Old Testament reading, okay? It's from the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And it's part of his letter that he wrote to the exiles in Babylon. Now, do you suppose there's any grace and gratitude in exile? Man, I hope so. So verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is before the total siege of Jerusalem, but it's after Nebuchadnezzar took the best, took the best folks uh, of Judah to assimilate them into the Babylonian Empire. And then the letter starts in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare, the shalom, of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, its shalom, you will find your shalom. So let's look at this part for a minute, okay? Did you notice that twice in those four sentences, God reminds his people that he has sent them to exile? And you know, God had been warning his people since Moses' time. Moses' time. Moses. Since the time of Moses, God had been warning his people not to worship other gods, but to live the life that he commanded. And if they didn't, if they broke a covenant with him and they worshiped other gods, he would remove them from the promised land. And it's the Eden scenario all over again, right? Adam and Eve lived in Eden, was blessed to take care of the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. And God tells them, you can eat from every tree 
in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then they choose to disobey. And they decide for themselves that, well, that tree looks good to eat. So they eat it. And then they're exiled from Eden. And here, all this time later, God promises his people, the Israelites, this land of milk and honey. It's like an Eden. And all they have to do is worship only him. And he will be their provision and their protection. But then they decide that other gods look good to them. And they eat it. And God exiles them out of the promised land. So he reminds them twice in these four sentences, right? I put you in exile, just like I said I would. It is the consequence of your sinful choices. And these exiles, they have to live in the reality of their consequences, don't they? And let's be realistic. It's the consequences of their ancestors, too, right? That's the thing about consequences. They don't just affect the ones who committed the sin. Because, for instance, what about Daniel? He's one of these exiles, right? And we know that he's a righteous dude. Right? He was dedicated to the Lord, but there he is, exiled because of his nation's sin. Now, this is tough, but even in this exile, there is grace. Right? The first thing I notice is that even though they're exiled out of their land, God is still talking to them. And he's still giving them instruction. Right? And the older and the wiser that I get, the more I see love in communication and in instruction. God speaks to his people through Jeremiah. And what does he tell them? Live. Live a good long life in exile. Build homes, plant gardens, have a family, have grandkids. Multiply, increase. He tells them to live that Eden kind of life but live it in exile. And then he takes that promise that he made to Abraham, right? I'll bless the nations who bless you and curse those who curse you. And it's like he inverts it. In verse 7, he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its peace you will find your peace. Do you suppose everyone was glad to hear this? Was everyone on board with this? Seek peace for the kingdom that's currently attacking your home. How? Verse 10, the letter continues. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 70 years. That's almost two times as long as the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, right? They're going to be in exile for like two generations, three, four. When they hear this, do you think they're relieved? Or do you think most of them are doing the math? And they're realizing, I'll be dead in 70 years. Their kids will be dead in 70 years. Right? In 70 years, my niece and nephew will be in their 80s. 
Now, if God was saying this to us, how would we take that? It would be hard to hear. You're never going home. Your exile is your home now. Exile, that's your identity now. Would our first response be gratitude? I remember this one time. A couple years ago, we were all exiled to our homes for a month. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I don't remember feeling any gratitude. I'll go ahead and confess that. I was mad about it. Uh, and not for the reason that you might think. Because I had to go to work for those four weeks. But we couldn't do our job. So what did they make us do? We had to clean everything the way it had never been cleaned before. I was a super janitor for four weeks. I was a super janitor. And um, I was thankful that my job was paying me, but I was not grateful. There was no gratitude. Yeah. It's really embarrassing, by the way. Hmm. So God tells them to make their life here, in this place where they're second-class citizens. Make your life right here. Build homes, plant gardens, pray to the Lord for the welfare of this place. Notice he doesn't give them permission to start a rebellion. You know, and he doesn't say, well, now that you're in this kingdom living there, go and get important jobs. Go work in the education and government sectors. Go infiltrate the culture because I need your help to take down the empire. No, he doesn't say that. Is there ever a time in the Bible where God tells his people to infiltrate another kingdom by taking over education or culture or government or media or anything? No. So you can take that seven mountain mandate theology and you can throw it away. A dog won't hunt. What does God say? He tells his exiled people to live. Live a good long life. Increase. And then comes a promise. When it's time for Babylon to end, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back. And I know it would be so hard to hear that in that moment and count it as grace. And he continues in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, shalom, and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So did you notice how once again he ends that section reminding them twice that he exiled 
that he is in control. It's another reminder that he doesn't want or need their help in overthrowing an empire. He has a plan, and that's not the plan. In verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, dot, dot, dot. It's one of those famous verses that we like to cross-stitch and hang on our walls, right? Or maybe have a magnet of it on our fridge. But how do you feel about that verse now, knowing that it was for a nation of people, not an individual promise to an individual person? And that those who heard that there was a plan wouldn't be alive when the promise came to pass. A little more interesting, isn't it? You know, I wonder if uh, when we take it for ourselves, right, when we say verses like that for us, if it's like that moment in the Gospels when James and John ask Jesus if they can sit at his right and his left hand in his kingdom, you know, and, and you're reading that and you're like, oh, man, they missed the point big time, right? You know, and Jesus says, uh, that's not really my call, you know. But uh, do you think you can drink the same cup that I drink? And they're like, yep. And, you know, we know that he's talking about dying a suffering, violent death. And, you know, who knows what they thought it meant. But they were like, yep. And I wonder if that's how we sound to God when we take a verse out of context for ourselves, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And he's like, yeah, I wasn't talking about your car trouble when I said that, Jamie. Also, why do you always stop right there? You never get to the part about seeking me with all your heart. Mm. Read the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, it's a hard lesson to learn, though, right? It kind of hurts. Yeah. Now, the rest of this letter uh, to the exiles is mostly about false prophets. The Lord calls them out by name and says they are lying liars, and he promises that they will die. Notice he doesn't tell them to live and build homes and gardens. In fact, he says, I'm going to wipe out all your descendants. So this sermon's about gratitude, right? <laughs> Where's the gratitude here? Um, well, I don't know if we get to see it. Um, not in this chapter. But we do see a lot of grace here. We see God talking to his exiles, instructing them on how to live Eden lives in exile, and making promises of restoration for the future. He tells them how they can have good, peaceful lives. But the thing is, if they don't recognize all of this grace, if they stay in a bitter attitude and try to do things their way by fighting their captors and rebelling against them, if they keep listening to the lies of the false prophets, then once again, they're choosing what looks good to their eyes. To build houses and plant gardens and make a good life in exile, it takes gratitude. You have to recognize and accept God's grace and let the deep thankfulness lead us to action, right? And in this case, it's the action to be humbled and live good lives. And as Christians, we are called to live this way too. 
Now, we're not exiled from our nation, you know, not yet. But is this our kingdom? Are we in Eden right now? No. So what do we do while we wait for God to fulfill his promises? You suppose we should live? Raise families? And pray for peace in our world? Should we be making grabs for power? Should we try to control the empire? No. That's, that's us acting like Adam and Eve, right? Ignoring God's instruction and doing what seems good to our eyes, right? He's the one with the plan for his people, not us. And in case, just in case you're thinking, well, that's all Old Testament stuff. You know, like, I'm under the new covenant. Then I'll just go ahead and let you know that Jesus calls us to live humbly too. Only when he does it, okay, it doesn't sound as lovely as build homes and plant gardens and pray for peace. No. Jesus calls us to be justice-craving, mercy-giving, meek, persecuted, poor in spirit, pure in heart, mourning peacemakers. That sounds harder than planting gardens, not going to lie. And there's no way that we can live that gospel beatitude life if we don't learn to respond to God's grace. Not just with thankful words and songs, but with gratitude, right? A deep thankfulness that leads us to action. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, please come and be God in this mess. We confess that while we live exile lives, we often try to be in control, and we try to co-opt your plan. Please forgive us for this slap to your face. Forgive us for reaching for earthly power. And Holy Spirit, will you help us? Will you help us recognize God's grace in our lives and respond to it in genuine gratitude that leads us to the action of good works and to live the good lives that you call us to live? Thank you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.